Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined the line later today by the one, the only, Dave Tenney. Now, before we jump into this week's show, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was and just give you some insights as to what is going on in my neck of the woods. So it seems fitting considering I've got a soccer guy on this week's show that we start by talking about soccer because Cade is in the midst of wrapping his season up. He's got one more game this weekend and then he will be done. But Kendall's season actually wrapped up last weekend and this was for Kendall and a lot of the girls on her team, their first tournament play experience. So it's one thing to go out and, you know, just have a game and you win or lose. There's no real consequences to it. So this weekend, first big tournament experience and basically the way the bracket works, you have two games and then the best two teams from your bracket play in the championship for, you know, like bragging rights, winners, rights, whatever the case may be. So If you're unfamiliar with soccer, the way they do it is if you're in a pool, you are ranked first and foremost by your win-loss, all right? So obviously, if you win every game, you're doing pretty well. But a second way they have to delineate who is doing better is what's called goal differential. So primary focus here is you want to score as many goals as you can, give up as few goals as possible so that ultimately your goal differential is very good as well. So this is important to note because we play our first game Friday night and we actually play a game or play a team that we played the week previous and we beat this team four to one. I would say it wasn't as close Uh, in some respects. We probably could have banged more goals, but in other respects, it probably could have been a lot closer because they had a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities they didn't capitalize on. But anyway, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves going into this game Friday. But what I tried to stress to our girls going into the game was, hey, look, that was last week. Like, we've got to bring the juice. Like, this is, uh, I mean, for as big as a, a U10 soccer tournament can be, this is the end of our season. We want to play well. And so the night really started off rough right off the bat. That team had a lot of energy. Their fans were really, like, into the game. And right away, like three, four minutes in the game, we give up a PK, and they knock it in. So right off the bat, we're down one nothing. We kind of grind out the rest of the first half, but we had no energy, just no juice at all. The other team is sprinting to every ball. We're trotting to every ball. They are not only sprinting to the ball, but they're like actively trying to move it downfield. We kind of trot and then we just kind of chase them around. So I told the girls, look, like we can get in this game. Like we didn't have great energy. We're only down one nothing. We're in a good spot. (laughs) Needless to say, it didn't turn around that we would have liked. We gave up four goals in the second half. So not only do we take a loss, but we have a negative five goal differential after the first game. So I had this like whole kind of like, I don't want to say it was definitely not a pep talk, but I definitely had kind of what I wanted to say to the girls in my head after the game. And I just want to let them know like, hey, look, you know, sometimes in sports, like if you don't give your best effort, like you get your butt kicked and that happened tonight. So I have this thought in my head and this is the speech I'm going to give and they come over and like half the team is in tears. (laughs) So quick audible on uh, the pep talk and I just let them know like, hey, look, you know, sometimes we don't play our best. Sometimes we don't always take advantage of opportunities that we had. I said, but luckily for us, like our season doesn't end tonight. We get at least one more game. I told him, hey, look, you got to put this one behind you. Okay, we can't change this. We can't go back and get a do over. Let's come out tomorrow and let's have a great game. So fast forward to Saturday morning, girls come out, 
a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, and we literally bang six goals, give up no goals. So, I mean, huge win. Everybody smiles. We have a small a small chance to make it into that championship game in our bracket. Ultimately, didn't work out for us. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a great way to end our season. The girls had an amazing game. Everybody played really, really well, like top to bottom. Had a lot of girls that scored goals. We had other girls that played amazingly well on defense. So it was a really good way to finish our season up. And for me, I feel like it was a good way to wrap my season up as a coach. Like, was it exactly what we wanted? No. We would have loved to have been in that championship game, but it was still fun. Definitely a learning experience. And I think all of the girls not only improved hugely, but I was just so proud of them for their effort because they could have mailed it in. After Friday night, they could have came out, just rolled over again, had another really awful game. They came out, made a great effort, and it really showed in the results. So soccer is a wrap. Saturday night, Kendall got to go to a friend's house. She had a birthday party, sleepover, all that jazz. So we had Cade, which was awesome because we went to our favorite burger spot here in town called Brew Burger. If you're ever in Indy, you got to check it out. It's amazing. But had burgers. We came home. He got to pick the movie, which he loves because normally he has to negotiate and cajole Kendall to kind of maybe get the movie that he wants. So he got the movie that he wanted. So we watched Sonic uh, the Hedgehog. If you haven't seen it and you've got kids, not a bad watch. I've definitely seen worse. And then Sunday, it's been really fun because Kate has been into going to the gym. He's got his own little Spotify playlist, which, you know, if you don't have kids or you didn't grow up in the 80s and play old Nintendo games, you probably wouldn't appreciate it, but it is all over the board. So he loves to play his music. Um, we kick the soccer ball around. We get buckets. We throw the Frisbee. So it's been a lot of fun having him in the gym and just enjoying that time with him. So that is it for the weekend. Big week for Team Robertson because this is our first full week of school in almost six and a half months. Kids did the first month virtual. They did the second half of the month 50-50 or the second month of school 50-50 and now they're back five days a week. So this is the first full Monday I've had to just train clients, get work done in a very, very long time. It feels good. I'm trying not to overbook myself because I have tons of people that are asking, oh, will you come on my podcast or you know, can we do this? And I'm trying to just like push all that aside for a little while so that I have time to catch up. There's things I wanna do for RTS. There's content I wanna create. There's things I need to do for iFast to get it back where it needs to be. So just looking forward to some semblance of normalcy. And then last but not least, I feel like it would be remiss if I didn't say this, but crazy to think about. Our big man, Mr. Cade, turned seven this week. And anybody that has kids knows like those moments are just like etched in your brain forever. And while we get older and our birthdays maybe don't carry as much weight as they used to, unless they're followed by a zero, anytime your child has a birthday, it's just like this very reflective moment. So it's just been amazing to watch this guy grow up. He's such a bright young guy, so curious, so much energy. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could just capture and bottle his energy. Um, I'm sure maybe at one point in my life I had it uh, like he does, but just so proud of him. He's such an awesome young guy and just really, really blessed to have him on my life. So, okay, 
I think that does it. Hopefully I didn't ramble on too long. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump into this awesome new episode with my guy, Dave Tenney. Hey, my friend, let's take a moment and talk about online coaching. Not a day goes by where I don't get an email, direct message on social, or a random comment on my website from someone who wants to get into great shape, but doesn't know where to start. And look, I get it because I've been there too. But if there's one distinct pattern in my life with regards to training, it's this. When I have a coach, I always get better results than when I'm trying to figure it out on my own. If you're struggling to get into great shape or have issues you need to work around, or maybe just need some accountability from someone you can trust, then maybe it's time to consider online coaching with your boy, MR. I've been working with online clients for the past 14 years. And while many people assume I only train athletes, the vast majority of my online clients are actually fellow trainers, coaches, and fitness professionals. So if you're interested in starting up or learning more, please send an email to mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com with the words online coaching in the subject line. From there, I'll send you an email and detail exactly how the entire process works. However, I can tell you this much. While I've had great success with my online coaching up to this point, since I've started using Train Heroic with all of my clients and athletes, I'm getting even better results with my clients than ever before. So again, if you're interested in learning more, just drop me a line at mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com and I'll give you all the details on how it works. Thanks so much, and I hope to work with you soon. Dave Tenney is the High Performance Director for the MLS expansion franchise, Austin FC. Prior to getting started there, he was recently a High Performance Director for both the Orlando Magic in the NBA and the Seattle Sounders of the MLS. In this show, Dave and I discuss a ton of different topics. We start by talking about his role in the NBA and what prompted him to move from soccer to basketball. Then we talk about what his job actually looked like on a day-to-day basis and the big differences he noticed between the sports of soccer and basketball. Finally, we discuss the reasons he finally opted to get back into football, aka soccer, and what his goals are for both himself and the club in 2021. This is an awesome episode. Dave is a super sharp guy, and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Dave, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you back. It's obviously been a hot minute since we've had you on. So what's new in your neck of the woods, man? Plenty. (laughs) First, I'd like to say it's an honor to be one of the few third time on guests. I'm not sure how many of those you've had, but how many have you had of those? Less than five. Nice. nice. Less than five. It's it's an honor to be in that group because I'm sure they're all all really good people. But yeah, I mean, I've obviously just made a big transition. Yeah, left the NBA bubble in August and recently changed jobs and moved to, to Austin, changed sports as well. So there's been plenty going on. Yeah. So let's just dive in because there's a lot going on, obviously, like you said, and there's a lot that I want to cover with you. So let's start very broad and general to begin with. Talk to me just about the past three years. What? And let's just start with this. What was your primary role or roles during your time in the NBA? Yeah, so my primary role and title was high performance director, which is what I've learned and you know, part of my experience the last three years. I think every sport interprets the role of the high performance director differently. And and obviously the NBA, based on the economics of the sport, the economics of the of the hierarchy infrastructures, looks significantly different than, let's say, for an MLS team. Yeah. So Essentially, the role of 
well, I would say there's two different roles of high performance directors with the NBA, and you kind of have either your hands-on performance director versus your hands-off performance director. And you know, a lot of your hands hands-on performance directors tend to be, you know, physical therapists that still kind of treat some of the athletes that come through that still may be assigned to, you know, one of the two of the superstars in the team. Yeah. And then you have you also have a group of your your hands-off performance directors, of which I was one, where it's very much, I'd say, almost a middle management position that you know, reports directly to a president that has, you know, current, you know, now staffs of upwards of 12 people just for your, you know, just for your NBA team, not even looking at your G League team. Right. Um, that also does contracts with a slew of, of consultants and contractors. A lot of my the role I found as I came in was really trying to cultivate good relationships with agents, have a, a stable of doctors outside of your own team doctor that you you can draw from for different injuries, manage manage information with your media people all the time as different injuries happen and pop up and things like that. So again, in talking to you, know, I, I just had a fantastic president with Orlando and, and Jeff Weltman came from the Toronto Raptors. Um mm. And, you know, and he would describe my position as very much as a, as a strategic position. You know, he felt that the high performance director position, the NBA was a, was a strategic position that helped, you know, kind of high level decision making and managing relationships, managing budgets, managing a, a group of, you know, kind of highly specialized uh, staff members. So, you know, that was obviously different than, you know, some of the other models and, and the roles of high performance directors within different teams and different sports. Yeah, for sure. So let's rewind and, and kind of talk about that because like, what does the day to day look like for you? So like, what, it could be a game day, practice day, whatever, a bubble day when you were in the bubble, like what does a day look like for you if you're not actually practicing? I mean, I think if you think of, of most NBA staffs right now, I mean, if, you, know, you have a high performance director, you may have three to four physical therapists, you may have two athletic trainers, two strength coaches, a chef dietitian, massage therapist, sports scientist. We have so many different pieces of the puzzle that really have to work together on a daily basis. And right. you know, and, and it is a a interdisciplinary collaborative model if, if it works effectively. And yeah. so a lot of it was just you know, really making sure in the morning everyone was, is on the same page and you know, the passing on from, let's say, from physical therapy to strength coach or, or not passing on and making those decisions. The decision of what we're going to collect from a sports science standpoint daily, you know, just really so, so much of, of these roles. And, and as and as high performance departments are, are becoming bigger, I mean, you really find a lot of the, the challenges are on sharing of information and the sharing of decision making, you know, mm -hmm. so really facilitating that whole process. It, it is not, I mean, the high performance model, the NBA is not, you know, let's say a physical therapist coming in and deciding what, what he or she is going to do with that athlete in the day and not having to really let anyone know that and just <laughs> doing his or her thing. Like that is, right. that's not how high performance departments operate, you know, in high level sport anymore. It is getting in, giving the group an update of an athlete giving the group an update of what your plans might be with that athlete, connecting with the strength coach and what the strength coach might want to do, maybe from a conditioning standpoint, deciding, you know, part, part of my role was, was to provide information to the, to the head coach, to the president, but especially to the head coach in terms of who you know, practice status for each individual and who might be in, who might be out, what, you know, what the session might be. So, you know, if you had three to four people that were beat up, 
the different therapists would come in and state kind of where all the different you know athletes were at, and that might necessitate a a talk with the head coach if if you know certain critical mass of athletes were beat up, and you know just again it's that it's that sharing of information. It's making the decisions of what each individual in the whole group needs to do, and then it's passing on that information to everyone outside of that high performance group. And that could be president, GM, medical, or uh, media people, coaching staff, et cetera. So. I gotcha. So one final question on this, because this is fascinating to me. And I think you had talked about this before, and I feel like Garrison Draper, when he was on, had talked about this. But how does this actually go down, right? How does this sharing of information go down? Is it in a formal sense, like, hey, before the team has practice, we're going to have like a staff meeting, and then we have practice, and then we have a debrief afterwards? Or like, how does that actually come together? I think you have to have, and, and this is where I think where your AMS platform comes in as well. I think you have to have a living, breathing AMS platform where as someone makes a note or an observation about an athlete, like, oh, I need the group to know that. And that's typically, uh, you know, that could be a Slack. It could be a Microsoft Teams. It could be, you know, any AMS type platform that has some sort of communication tool. Yep. And then there's the then there is the the morning meetings as well. So I gotcha. there li- literally is like you cannot share too much information amongst your staff, and and then that's another reason I think why the ability to to not hold on to things and to share information and to be collaborative is is a really key critical trait of you know people that want to thrive in a high performance environment, whether that's a as a physical therapist or, a, or as a strength coach or sports scientist. It's this you know kind of constant sharing of what's going on across different platforms. And, you know, that could be, you know, doing a rehab session, sharing what an athlete did in rehab session the day before, how they responded, how they felt. And then that then proceeds, uh, you know, uh, is followed by a discussion the next morning in, in terms of, okay, this is what the athlete did yesterday. This is how they responded. These are my plans today. What's everyone's yes. thoughts? And, you know, you know, and part of my role, again, is like to, to facilitate that decision amongst that whole staff. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So let's go back just a little bit because you went from the MLS to the NBA and now you're back in the MLS. So I'm interested, what prompted your move from soccer where you were obviously incredibly successful and prompted you to try your hand in professional basketball? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know if there's a, there's not a singular answer. I think there's, there's also, you know, kind of it's where you are in your career. It's where you are in your life. It's where you are within, you know, an organization. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny. I was I was thinking about this question, and then I kind of thought of, you know, I always recommend. You know, there's a YouTube video, you know, Tony Strudwick, you know, from who was at Manchester United for many years within soccer. You know, extremely bright, one of the first kind of big performance director, you know, type practitioners uh, in in English Premier League soccer, and and he has given this talk across many platforms and kind of, you know, winning moments in high performance environment. And I think he talks about the life cycle of, you know, high performance environments. And, you know, and, and, and he's one of the only ones I think that's brought it up in our setting. Although I think across, you know, kind of different domains, you know, you, people will talk about like a, a seven year life cycle yeah. within organizations, right? Yeah. And, and about every seven years, you, you know, if you start kind of this, this department, this team, this concept, most things seem to last about have a max life cycle of about seven years, and then you know, and then and then something else has to has to grow from that. Right. Um, and Chloe, I think he related his time in Manchester United to this seeing this life cycle over seven years, and you know, and, and then I think people maybe you know it's not 
I think it's human nature, not that people buy into it less, but I think there's people are ready for something new. And so, you know, and obviously I, I was with the Seattle Sounders for nine years, yep. you know, and, and, and probably for me again, that that resonated after about seven years, I thought, okay, I mean, this is, this is great. We built a great model. Everything's going really well. We could, we could kind of keep this chugging along. We were successful, but I always had this kind of urge to say, okay, can, can I, can I create this somewhere else? Yeah. Can, it'd be really cool to take these same ideas and try to apply them in another setting, you know, that didn't necessarily have to be a different sport, um, but, but something, you know, professionally that would, that really challenge myself as a practitioner. And, and, you know, and then clearly this, but, but, but at the same time, it has to be with the right group. It has to be with the right leadership. And, you know, and, and I had that, I had that urge, you know, kind of at the same time, you know, in 2017, I had a call from, you know, Jeff Weltman and, John Hammond, the president and GM for Orlando, who had just gotten to the organization and were kind of trying trying a full rebuild, mm-hmm. um, to to see if I was interested in taking on you know a high performance role there. And so, you know, it was it was very much less about me saying like oh, I really want to go work in the NBA, and really more about you know okay this life cycle of doing what I did in Seattle. I, I kind of feel like it's it's come to a a conclusion or it would be really nice to try something somewhere else with this yeah. opportunity with you know obviously just great leadership and management that off, you know afforded me the opportunity to to do that you know kind of at a next level you know and, and I think that that was probably it gotcha you know kind of more than anything else so. gotcha so what would you describe as some of the biggest differences between your time with the Sounders and your time with the Magic and I realize this is a very general question so feel free to kind of take it <laughs> yeah. in any direction that you want. Yeah. I mean, so much was different. I mean, it was, again, because I've just explained, you know, just kind of walked through the daily process with, with you know, an NBA high performance department in terms of the size of the staff. And, you know, now, you know, I go to Orlando and, and the size of the staff is double. Right. And so that that has impact on, you know, the, the number of interactions between between all the staff members now you know, increases exponentially because you have double the staff members. And so now you have to button up a lot of your communication. And so, uh, you know, there was, there was new challenges around size of staff. Um, I mean, the, the biggest challenge was going from a sport that I played myself, that I coached myself, that I felt like I knew really, really well to a, to a sport that I, you know, that I watched from a distance, but, but I didn't know intimately. And, and I wasn't sure if I would ever know it intimately, but I know that it really interested me. So, right to go all of a sudden work in a sport and there, you know, and again, there's always this discussion of how well should you know a sport before you work in it and how much domain knowledge about the sport do you have to have to be successful. And I think the challenges for me is I, I felt like I would come in and, and, and learn the sport and know what's going on. But, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I clearly, I would say I clearly underestimated how long it takes to know a sport intimately at, at that level. Yes. Right. Like I felt, I go watch even you know when I left after three years. I mean, I I I probably could recognize about forty percent of the plays they're running out in the court you know, based <laughs> on what was going on in practice. But you know that's it's a uh, NBA is a complex game, and people that think there's not a lot of coaching are, are wrong. There's right. an incredible amount of coaching that goes on in the NBA, just an incredible amount. And, you know, every play is, is the beginning of every play is is, is scripted and, and and practiced and. Um, so it was getting used to that, you know, yeah. a totally different sport. The schedule obviously was totally different. You know, you go from really 
I think the whole thought process of a high performance department from, okay, we might have a week in between games, or at least we have three days in between games. And how can we assess the fatigue at the end of the game? And can we figure out what to put in place for the next 72 to 96 hours to get them, these athletes back where they need to be work with the coaching staff to to create a program that the, the the athletes get back to where they need to be from 72 to 96 hours, you know, and then, yep. and then within a four day period in the NBA, you're either playing two or three games as you go through <laughs> a season. Yes. And, and now, and now it's less, how can we take a team from this level to li- this level in terms of, of fatigue and athlete preparedness and okay, where's it, where's everyone at? Do we have to shut someone down? What, you know, kind of what passive therapy can, do we need to utilize to get athletes back up and ready to go in the next game? Maximizing recovery, because you might only have, you may only have, what, 18 hours between games. Yeah. You might have three games in four days. You might have five games in eight days. And what do you, you rather than having a seven day period where you can plan a, a whole week, you may have five games in that same time period. So, yeah. And, and then the length of the season, right? Just that. I think what was so impressive to me about the very, very top NBA players is they literally, they, they step out and they want to do it every day. Yeah. They'll go score 35 points on a Tuesday and they're going to go try to get 40 on a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to do it again. Then they're going to do it, do it again. And then the really, really good ones, they get whatever, three months off in the summer and then they go again, you know? And, and I think people look at the schedule and be like, ah, oh, you know, guys take games off or, you know, it's, it's only a six month season, but once you actually live the 82 games, like that, it's a, to say it, to say it's a grind is really an understatement. I think as to what those guys actually do when you add the travel on and you add the getting back at two or 3am in the morning and then coming back the next evening and maybe doing it again. It's a, it's a very different model for what athletes have to deal with than, than anything in the, in the sport of soccer, you know, yeah. which I thought was, was a huge challenge and they you know, obviously fun to take that challenge on, but also, you know, just a totally different rhythm than what, you know, what I had been used to being in soccer for so many years. Yeah, for sure. So you might've already answered this, but you're obviously a pretty methodical dude. Like you think things through and I'm sure you thought a lot about making this move before you actually made it. It's not like just on a whim. You said, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears and go, go try my hand in the NBA. So once you got there, was there anything that you didn't expect or maybe caught you off guard? Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, the fact that I, I didn't, I'd say it's probably the understanding of the sports. Like I probably, I was caught off guard by the fact that what a huge advantage it was for me within soccer to have played the sport and have to live the sport and to understand the players having been in their shoes. Yeah. But I think until that's taken away from you, I think you underestimate, I think what a huge benefit that is to how you deal with athletes on a daily basis, right? Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I had been through a lot of the same things that you know players in MLS had been through at different times, but I've never been a basketball player traveling, getting in at three in the morning and playing back-to-back games, right? I've never been in their shoes. So I think that that caught me off guard. I would say that, you know, on the negative side, that caught me off guard, right? Like on the positive side, there was actually some really interesting things. I mean, in terms of basketball versus soccer and, you know, anyone that, that works in the sport of soccer um, will know that, that there's a lot of high level soccer players where like, it's very important. Like, do you understand the sport? Like, if you don't understand yeah. the sport, like you can't help me. Yeah. Unless, unless you really get it, you can't help me. And even coaches as well. You deal with coaches that think like, yeah, you don't really get the sport. Right. Right. And, and that tends to be a really typical thing in soccer where, where I can say, I mean, pleasantly, like the coaches in the NBA, I mean, they were, they were fantastic. There's not that same, like, 
arrogance of like, if you don't, if you've not lived basketball, you can't help us um, right. ever, ever, you know, and I think dealing with coach, you know, coach Clifford, you know, I, I had Frank Vogel the first year who's doing okay with the Lakers yeah. right now. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, and then Steve Clifford, this, you know, the, the second two years and there was an openness to ideas with them that I would say, like, you just, just didn't exist in soccer. If you're seen as an outsider, like it was just, it was, it was pleasantly shocking to me. It was this, this now, now I will say that, you know, Steve Clifford has worked his, you know, his whole life in basketball and been in the NBA about 20 years, but he is a huge Manchester United fan. So oh, that's good. that was a, that was a huge surprise for me. That was a, that yeah. was a positive. So, you know, a lot of our talks, a lot of our morning talks started about the state of Manchester United and then flowed into what we were going to do, you know, for practice each day. So I like uh, it. But again, I think just that the openness of the player, the players wanted to know whether you could help them or not. And, and the coaches want to know whether you can help them or not. And there was never any, you know, anyone that kind of looked down as if you couldn't help them because you didn't actually play the sport, you know, yeah. which is which I think is not was not typical for soccer. Yeah, no. And, and I think I experienced that firsthand kind of getting into the yeah. sport. Like, I mean, I grew up playing basketball, so we're basically flip flopped. And so, yeah. yeah, the first year, even with the Indy 11, having to be out there and, you know, people know that this isn't your primary sport or this isn't what you grew up around. You really kind of have to earn your stripes and I'm there with you. Like I was used to basketball, right? And scripted plays. And this is where this person has to be. So yeah. when I get out and I watch a soccer practice and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, there's no like, like nobody kind of really knows where they're going to go. Like it's that organic. Yeah, yeah. So that part was, was interesting for me. So I think like, just take home wherever you want to land. If you're listening to this, doesn't matter, basketball, football, soccer, baseball, hockey, like do whatever you can to learn the sport, right? It's only yeah. going to be an advantage. And some sports, like you said, Dave, like some sports carry that carries more weight than others, but educating yourself as to the needs and the demands of the athletes and the coaches is never a bad thing. No, no, no. And it was interesting because I actually did a, we did a series of interviews, you know, for, for some positions after. And so we are, this is an interesting anecdote because I interviewed a physical therapist um, before I left Orlando and we were talking about, you know, okay, what is it like in soccer versus the NBA? And, you know, this, this person had been in soccer and I said, okay, well, what do you think it's like in the NBA? You know, and then this this candidate says, well, you know, it's I've been in high level soccer and, you know, uh, you know, the athletes always want to know, OK, where'd you go to school? Um, what degrees do you have? What other athletes have you worked with? You know, so I imagine there's some kind of validation that, that you know, has to go on with NBA players, maybe even more so. And I was like, no, actually, that's not <laughs> true at all. <laughs> they actually don't really care where you went to school and they don't really care what degrees they have. They are going to test you and try you on yep. once and see if you're good yep. and see if, and see if you can help them and then they will make a decision. Yep. And if it goes really well and they like you, well, then you're in. Yes. And if it doesn't go well, well, then you're not in. And, <laughs> yep, and it's almost as simple as that. It's not, it doesn't matter how many other high level athletes you've worked with. If they, if they don't think you can help them, it's done. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that decision often comes very fast. And I think, you know, that's, Another reason why one of my my aims, you know, when when I kind of started Orlando, you know, we there's a lot of talk about you know kind of the diversity of staffs, and I think that's always a, an interesting issue. And I think there should be a balance. But you know, I I tried you know within Orlando to hire you know kind of as as diverse of a staff as possible, with the knowledge that athletes respond differently to different people, and some people want a certain type of a person as a 
therapist or coach and some people want a different type person as a therapist or coach. And so having some diversity on staff, you know, can, is essential. Some level of diversity is essential um, to have different types of, of people and thought processes and whether it's cognitive diversity or, or, you know, the normal, you know, thought about concepts of diversity. I think having different sorts of people and types of people on your staff, as long as they can still find some common ground and, yes. and, and agree on things is, is really critical. So. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I don't know if you had told me that or somebody else had told me that about you. Like you had on purpose put, no, I don't want to say a mishmash, but like you didn't want like this homogeneous thought process, right? Where everybody does the same things, thinks the same ways. Like you tried to you know, find that common ground, but have some diversity there. And you mentioned that, but then it's like, it reminds me of Joe Kim. Obviously he was very successful. I think he spent nine years with the Carolina Panthers. And he said, you know, one thing that always shocks people is when people think Carolina Panthers, they think of Cam Newton, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I don't train Cam. He's like, one of the guys underneath me trains Cam because Cam likes him. Yeah. And, and so like, that's where you have that, like, look, man, you're not, the perfect fit for everybody as much as we'd like to think that right and as much as we'd like to think we could have success with everybody like you said sometimes people just gravitate to other people and that's where that diversity actually helps enhance your staff yeah and i and i think that's the next level of where kind of this role of the high performance director is going is how do you build out staffs that have one the different types of personalities but two they also have to have the hard skills and the skill sets as yeah. well but you can have complementary personalities and complementary skill sets where any athlete that comes through the door, you know there's there's the right person there for them, yeah. right? And, and and never the the occasion where an athlete walks in and just can't connect with anyone in your staff, yeah, right? Because because ultimately you're asked by management to be able to treat you know not necessarily every every athlete equally, but be able to get every athlete what they need, and to do that you often have to have you know staff a staff that has different back backgrounds and perspectives and, you know, and, and different ways of connecting with the athletes, I guess. Yep. I love it, man. So as we've kind of alluded to, and as you mentioned up top, you've recently taken a new role with the MLS expansion franchise in Austin. So Sounders, nine years, Orlando Magic, three years. What was it about this role or opportunity that piqued your interest? Well, definitely the sport. You know, I, I yeah. think it was kind of Probably about a, a year ago. It's funny. I, I went through this kind of life cycle here with you know with Orlando, where you know the, the first year, I I purposely tried not to watch any soccer. Right, soccer was the sport I grew up with. I loved and left. I kind of year one. I'm like I'm not. I'm I'm in basketball. I'm going to love basketball. Yes. I'm going to not watch any soccer. And I did, and 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 I enjoyed it that yep. first year. But as I got into the second year, I started kind of having this nag. I'm like I really that's my sport. I I, I really miss it. And, you know, and I kind of got through year two in the NBA and I just felt that, that tug a lot more like that's this, maybe it's my sport. You know, I, I, I love it. I live it. And, and maybe, you know, there's, there's probably a sense of no matter how long I w- would have been in the NBA, I would have felt a little bit like an outsider that didn't really get it. Yeah. And, and that was not so, I don't know, sustaining to me or was not so. I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't get the same enjoyment from it, you know? So, so now, you know, it's really about, okay, well, is there a situation then within soccer that fits what I would like to do, you know, long-term professionally? And I was just, I was very, very fortunate where, you know, a player that I had coached in Kansas City in 2008, Josh Wolf was assistant coach with the national team and, and hired 
to become Coach Ross in FC. Um, and Josh is a coach that I think is extremely intelligent, super bright. I think he's got a great future. He also highly values this high-performance influence based on his experience as a player. He is a player that you know kind of fought injuries a lot through the course of his career. And I actually you know worked with him when he had gone to to Germany and he played in the second Bundesliga and just oh, got wow. really beat up, really beat up over in Germany. Came back to Kansas City after having been gone for two years, and we spent a lot of time together just trying to get him, you know, healthy and going again, and um, yeah. and then you know stayed in contact over the course of the rest of his playing career, and then as an assistant coach with Columbus, you know, so so it was a unique opportunity, and I think to join a coach that I that I connect with really well, yeah, um, and actually himself, and then you know, he was hired as one one of his assistants, Davey Arno, who I also coached in Kansas City for 2007 <laughs> and 2008. You know, and so to be able to to now work with a group of coaches that I actually coached myself was yeah. was a really unique experience coming into you know Austin that that again I think is a very forward thinking club in in a city that embraces yes. technology and embraces analytics and embraces a lot of these you know the same type things that that I had in Seattle it just felt like a lot of synergy around that that sort of a of a of a move you know from a career perspective so. You know, but but I would say that the tipping point was definitely having the opportunity to work with you know with Josh Wolf and 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 a head coach that I that I believe in because I I do think you know so much of our jobs as we go through are are, are directly affected by either, you know your head coach and your your management and so you know I, again I had a fantastic relationship you know with Steve Clifford in Orlando and he's a great head coach and did a fantastic job coaching us but you know to have the opportunity to work with someone like Josh who who I'd worked with myself and who I, you know, I think is going to do a fantastic job as a coach and, you know, in MLS was just a unique opportunity. Yeah, for sure. So this one is really interesting to me. So you were obviously super successful during your time with the Sounders, but you were there nine years. So you probably learned at least a thing or two along the way. So what are some things that you learned during your time in Seattle that you're looking to implement when you get to Austin and you get kind of the boots on the ground and everything's up and running. I think definitely having a staff that works together. Now we've we've made a lot of our staff hires, but can't yet announce most of our sure. most of our hires. But you know, it, it will be a staff that collaborates and works together. That again, I think the the connection with the coaching staff is is critical too. And you know, and I think there was such consistency in Seattle, right? It was around, you know, coach you know, Brian Schmetzer has been head coach there for well, he's been head coach there for this is his third full year. Is that right? No, it seems longer. Fourth full year. Feels longer. Fourth yeah. full year. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Fifth year. Fourth full year. Yes. Yeah. You know, but but he was there from the very beginning, right? So so I think consistency in staff is a really critical thing. You know, cons- consistency with with coaching staff and performance staff. I think that's that's a critical piece. You know, and I, and I my philosophy is always to have you know kind of small slow incremental gains allow you know allow, allow your processes to evolve don't try to do too much too fast you know i think a lot of, a lot of times people staffs and, and you know and, and people can fail because they want to go in and they want to change everything as soon as possible right. right and 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 i think it's start with something basic have it grow in complexity let it evolve and that can be how you use lighting sports science how you're integrating you know, your, your philosophy together with the head coach. You know, I, I just think it's, it's, it's this kind of finding this organic evolution of, of your ideas and processes over time 
it's it's definitely part of my you know, part of my nature that I think is is something that was successful in you know in, in Seattle. I mean, what we did from year one to year nine looked radically different. It's kind of funny because I'll look back over you know over the last four to five years where we had I mean really obviously smart guys like you know Ravi Ramanani and Sean Muldoon and you know Jared Phillips and you know Chad Kalarsik you know these you know really 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 smart people Brett Utley and we had consistency there was growth. But every year, we threw out we threw out about twenty percent, and we added about thirty percent. And what we got grew a little bit more. And it was always important for us to pull out what you know what we we find we hadn't used as much in the previous year. And that could be again in our AMS platform. It could be in our our morning assessments. That could be in what we did during preseason. It's just really important to 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 constantly evaluate yourself and pull out what's not working on a yearly basis and, and continuing to try new things and odd things. So for sure. So I guess that sounds basic, but yeah, no, no. It sounds, uh, no. And, and I'm hoping this next question doesn't become redundant because I feel like you've sort of answered this already, but like what sort of goals do you have you set for yourself or for your staff during your first year? I mean, obviously, you know, with the Sounders, your goal is like an MLS cup every year. I would assume probably year one, you have different goals than winning just an MLS cup right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, well, one, it's been, Currently, we are in an office building in a tech park where everyone has a cubicle, right? And so, so really, in year one, you, you know, we will be doing that into moving into a new facility in about April. We'll be doing, you know, our 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 preseason in a in a nice hotel near here at a college university as well. And so, it'll be there's it's going to be a again a, the, an organic growth, right? So you're really trying to build infrastructure. So year one right. is really about how do you how do you build infrastructure? How do you get a way of operating? Yep. I think in the way of operating in terms of within the high performance staff, a way of operating in terms of communicating with the coaching staff, a way of operating in terms of how you're communicating with your athletes. I mean, right now, currently, there's the, the club's only signed two, two players, right? So we still have to sign about 25, 25 oh 26 more players, wow. you know, and, and, and so there's there's a whole lot of setting up of, of infrastructure that's going to happen within the next six months that I think you know will decide you know kind of the the direction that that we do things and even some of the processes right I think you know where these players come from are they more South American are they more American are they players within the league are they play are there players from outside the country and again it's it's how do you tweak this system your way of doing things to kind of accommodate all those things you know especially in a league that's constantly changing as well I mean I think yeah. I, I would bet there's not really very many leagues changing on a yearly basis as much as um, as much as MLS is changing in terms of more expansion teams, more money, better facilities. I mean, yes, yeah, 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 better facilities, and you know, younger players, less older kind of experienced players at the end of their career, more younger players who are you know investments, you know, to kind of develop and grow. So, yep, it, it, it's hard. I, mean, I guess it's hard to say. I have these three goals. I'm sure that the, the sure. club would very much like to make the playoffs. That would be a success sure. if the team were to make the playoffs. But I think in terms of sustained success down the road, it's very much you know structural type issues and getting a training facility that is functional and getting a staff that you know that that is dialed in in terms of the needs of the players and who those players may be. We we don't even know yet. So right, right, okay. So kind of last one here. You've now worked in numerous pro sports, had different job titles. What advice would you give to a young up-and-coming coach who wants to follow in your footsteps? 
Uh, well, first I'll say, don't try to follow in my footsteps. <laughs> you know, and uh, because, yeah, and I, I've said this to to various younger people. If you would have asked me five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, hey, do you, do you ever think you're going to work in the NBA? I looked at you and said, there's no way I'm ever working in the NBA. <laughs> right. And uh, it was never my goal to work in the NBA. Right. Um, so, so one, I think first and foremost, as a young practitioner, like I personally don't feel like it's a smart strategy to say, I want to work in this league or I want to work at this level in this sport because things very rarely turn out the way you think they do. Right. I think, again, it's about looking at yourself and, and, and identifying your own talents, your own personality, I think. And then, and then it's really going into different organizations and you know, maximizing your value in organizations by, by learning from the right people to learn from. So it's interesting because I think people should be goal-oriented, yep. but at the same time, they should be probably smaller more achievable goals from a from a career perspective yep. than many people hit right yes. so yeah rather than I, I i think it's it's more about learning skills and traits than it is targeting certain jobs or certain leagues or you know or, yes. or specific roles i would say um, yeah. so and, and I, again i think we could have a whole another podcast on, you know, kind of the specialist versus the generalist. And, you know, I think I've, I've been the stage in my career in terms of being more and more strategic roles where I, I've, you know, by necessity, I'm more of a, of a generalist as a, as a, as a leader and manager. Yep. But when you come into a certain sport or in our field, you typically come as a specialist, right? And yes. so it's really important to figure out what sort of specialist that is, and then to really hammer out what the hard skills are in that particular specialization. Yep. Knowing that if you move and you know, continue to evolve down the road and you become more of a, of a management type person that you may become more of a generalist and those, those hard skills may be less relevant as you move on. Sure. But the starting point is where are you going to specialize and what are the hard skills necessary to specialize there? Yeah. Well, and I would imagine too, like just by nature of if you're in a high performance environment, if you're a specialist, once you are introduced into that environment, now you immediately have way more interactions with other high-level specialists, right? So, yeah. like, if you're going to go in as a physical therapist, well, now you have to interact with NAT, with a strength coach, with a massage therapist, with a high-performance director, so with a sports scientist, right? So, that's where yeah. Yeah. you start to pick up more of that general understanding, and that's where you would start to become more of that generalist once you start to understand all of the little interactions now you understand kind of how all the pieces fit together. For sure. Because I, I mean, I, my favorite, you know, my favorite saying within high performance sport is definitely the whole, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Yep. And there's so many, there's so many young practitioners that start, you know, where everything looks like a hammer, you know, and, and I think the more time you spend around really smart people, the more time you spend around people from dis different disciplines, you realize that goals can be achieved in lots of different ways. Yes. Um, and, and, and problems can be solved using, you know, different, different forms and whether that be, you know, passive therapy, active, you know, active therapy through a, through a therapist, you know, work with a strength coach, work with a rehab coach. I mean, there's so many different ways to do things. And I think that, you know, the high performance department is really about coming in and recognizing what everyone else within your department can bring to the table and, and valuing those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I love it. I love it. Okay. 
Last but not least, lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Sound good? <laughs> Number one, what's your favorite memory from your time in Orlando, basketball or life related? I would say probably, you know, definitely in year two, we we are a team that was not picked to make the playoffs, was not picked to even challenge for a playoff position. I think, you know, our, our head coach just did a probably one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen a head coach do in any sport. I mean, just had a sick tremendously successful last 25 games of the year when we gone up and beat boston you know in, in in boston to to clinch a playoff spot you know and kind of i think there was this sense within the entire group with all the players and staff and coaching staff that you know that the group had done something really really special and significant and that kind of felt like the the high point and then you know and then going playing the toronto raptors in the first round and actually beating Toronto in, in, in the first game of the playoffs with the team that would eventually go on and beat and win the NBA uh, championship yeah. that year. So, I mean, I think those two probably stood out as you know, kind of the, the high point of, you know, in terms of the sense of like whole group accomplishing something great, you know, and yep. obviously it, it starts with the players and we had just a great group of players that worked really hard and I think bought into, you know, what the coach and the, you know, the coaching staff had, had, had done. So I would say probably that was probably the, the high point of, my time in Orlando. That's awesome. Okay. Number two, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you miss seeing Chad Marshall every day? I'd say about an eight. Okay. Because right? there's always, there's always a couple days where Chad can be a little bit grumpy, you know, yeah. he doesn't always want to be around people, but you yes. know, when, when Chad's uh, in a good mood, then it's, he's definitely uh, fun to be around. Yeah. When Chad's on, he's a 10 for sure. Oh yeah. But yeah. I got, don't worry. I got a couple of those. I got a couple of those days twos in the off season. So I know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. When Chad was in his thirties and his hips got really sore the day after games and he had to play on that artificial grass and oh, century yeah. he, he didn't always show up in the, in, in, in the best, in the best <laughs> moods, but you know, overall he was a, he was a fantastic personality and human to deal with. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Number three, what was your first priority when you got to Austin? What was like the first thing you wanted to get done? Well, again, it's interesting because it, we are still very much in kind of a, a startup feel type mode. But I think, again, just establish connection with, you know, with, with the coaches and really sit down with the head coach and Josh Wolf and really figure out his ideas and his concepts and where he wants to take things and really how he values high performance. You know, I mean, he's a yep. guy that, you know, I don't know if you've had Steve Tajan on. Not yet. He's podcast. on my list. I had, I had Darcy okay. on. Okay. I got to get Steve on now. All right. Yes. I mean, you know, Josh is coming from a place for the U.S. national team where he's had Steve Tajan and Darcy together. He obviously was with Steve Tajan for years in Columbus. And, you know, those if if you if you work with Steve Tajan or Darcy, then you very much highly value what a high performance department can can bring. So really just trying to get his perspectives on that, having worked with you know two great guys like that, which is, you know, it's a it's big shoes to fill because those are, you know, super, super talented practitioners. So, yes. For sure. Okay. Last but not least, what's next for Dave Tenney? I think it's just, you know, again, trying to create something sustainable. I mean, there's, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing necessarily short term in terms of, you know, that, that I got to tick this box. It's just really right. getting the staff in here. It's trying to get a group that collaborates and works together and enjoys each other and wants to do something special. And it's really, you know, it's, it's definitely less about me and it's really trying to create a group that, you know, wants to kind of work and learn together and how I, my role to facilitate that, you know, I think is, is kind of my next step. So, you know, it's funny where 
you know those those in, you know who followed Seattle who follow the the legend of you know Robbie Romanini there and he would <laughs> yes. always have the saying of like you know before you drive the Ferrari you got to build the road like that was Robbie's uh, favorite saying as you know as as organizations try to use data data analytics AMS platforms GPS you know whatever you know you really have to know how to package things and uh, yeah. store things before you can analyze and make decisions and from this standpoint you know it's more organizational it's just you know how do you build the road for this department that's going to come in and hopefully you know perform at a high level so man so now i got to put you on the spot but you mentioned robbie like when can we expect the austin fc sports science conference is that coming in 2021 <laughs> well we're, we're 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 gonna have to deal with the whole covid <laughs> yeah. situation before we worry about any conferences so. that's true that's um, true I mean, it's it, it, it's obviously been a difficult space because I, I think you know some of the conferences have been some of our best experiences in terms of Absolutely. how we grow, grow, grow and evolve. And you know, the the virtual stuff has been great. And I know you know Sean and Ravi had tremendous conferences. You know, the the Sounders yeah. Sports Science and the Sounders Analytics conferences were. I mean, I I definitely watched and attended every one, and they they've done great jobs with that. Um, but I, I'll also say I'm a little bit tired of the virtual conferences too, because there is oh something gosh. about just the, the yes. human interaction that I think we're all we're all missing where it is right now with COVID. So yes. it'd be great, you know. I mean, down the road, it'd be great to have a conference in Austin and and, and you know start that up here. But you know, we've got a whole pandemic I think yeah. we've got to deal with before we start answering those questions. So. Yeah, I, I'm sure there was a time when we were all like, "Man, I'm just I'm so tired of just going to conferences." And now, now, yeah. like I was thinking about this before the show, it's like kind of be nice to just go to a conference yeah. and hang out and like have breakfast or lunch or beers with somebody and just hang out and be yeah. a normal human again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And see your guys like Patrick Ward. I mean, that's been, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not seeing someone like, you know, Patrick or, you know, guys like that, that you kind of see on the circuit of the different, you know, different conferences that you get to connect with. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll get back there, but it's, Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's sad. Yeah, It is. It is. Well, not to end on a dour note like that, but Dave, I mean, obviously, man, it's it's always great catching up with you. I think some really phenomenal insight today. Where can my listeners find out more about you? Just really Instagram and, and Twitter. I, I would say that's those are the only main things. I mean, I think I'm at Dave Tenney on both yep. Twitter and Instagram. So I, I don't say that I, I don't share a ton anymore, just out of being busy doing other things, but sure. you can definitely catch up with me there and shoot me a note there if there's anything uh, you know, you'd like to touch base on. So I love it. Well, Dave, man, thanks again for coming on, buddy. This was really great. Thank you. And again, thanks for having me. It's uh, I've been obviously a big fan and happy to hear some of the guys you've had on. And I heard Sean Muldoon a couple weeks ago. Yeah, um, man. So it was great having him on. And yeah, again, it's an honor to be one of the three timers. Yes. I don't know if there's a special term for that. But yeah, that's right. I, I don't know, it. but I'm going to have to do that going yeah. forward. my friend that does it for this week's show with dave tenney really hope you enjoyed it he is such an amazing guy love catching up with him as he alluded to one of the only three timers on the show so obviously enjoy chatting with him and just enjoy catching up and learning more about what he's got going on and what he's got going through his head man just every single time we talk there's an amazing discussion so if you enjoyed this episode do me a favor subscribe to the show doesn't matter where you consume podcasts iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon. If you consume podcasts there, you can probably find the physical preparation podcast there. So if you're not already, subscribe. 
If you are already subscribed, thank you. Do me one more favor. Go into iTunes, give us a rating and a review. Ratings and reviews are the most surefire way to make sure more people, more young trainers, coaches, physical therapists, rehab professionals find out about the show. They listen to these awesome guests that we have on and just make our entire profession a little bit better. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.